listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I want to show you something today. This is going to jump off the page at you, by the way. Um, I was studying, of course, we're doing, as we're doing the Bible reading challenge, God, it's amazing because God showed, <laughs> none of that's true. God, none of the facts about Cinco de Mayo, um, but God showed me some wonderful things. I want to share one with you today that this, I really believe this is going to jump off the page at you because um, we're talking about creating an environment for miracles to take place. And of course, every night, by the way, Every night at nine o'clock, we're doing a series this week on understanding your divine dominion. And of course, we have dominion over every attack of the devil. We have dominion in the world. And um, so I want to show you, <laughs> Jill made, Jill just made me laugh. I'm sorry. Let me get compose myself. Jill said, nice shirt. Who shot the couch? <laughs> that has to, that sounds like a Kentucky saying. A Kentucky colloquialism, but I appreciate it very much. Um, <clears throat> as we're talking about uh, creating an atmosphere, an environment for miracles, um, I want to show you something that Jesus did today. This actually may surprise a lot of you because one of the things that Jesus commanded his disciples to do, which you'll know very well, he said, go out and preach and teach, go from city to city. And notice he said that if you go into a city, and they hear your preaching and teaching, but then they reject it. He didn't say to stay there for two, three, four, five years until they all believe what you're preaching. He said, if they don't receive you, then shake the dust off of your feet and leave and go somewhere else. That's what Jesus taught. He said, shake the dust off of your feet, leave and go somewhere else. Basically, he said, condemn the city. Take your, remove your blessing from the house, leave and condemn, condemn the city, shake the dust off of your feet. Well, Jesus would not have instructed his disciples to do that if he himself did not operate that way. And I want to show you something today that uh, this is going to blow your mind, <clears throat> how, how much Jesus stuck to this principle. But I want you to go with me to the book, the gospel of Mark chapter eight, and I'll take you around a few passages here in the gospels, but I want you to see this very clearly. This really, I mean, when I, when I was reading through today, making notes and highlighting, this literally leapt into my spirit. Um, from the word of God. And I believe the Holy Spirit illuminated this for this purpose. Because if we're going to see miracles take place in our lives, this same principle of creating an atmosphere for the miraculous has to be uh, in place in our own homes and in our own lives. We have to conduct ourselves the same way if we want to see miracles take place. Hey, Matt, good to see you, buddy. And so, Mark chapter eight is where I want you to start with me. And I want you to see this because this, this is mind blowing. Uh, I'll read verses 22 through 26, Mark chapter eight, verses 22 through 26. If you didn't get a chance to share, take a minute now, share the broadcast. We need to get into this. Look at what the Bible says, Mark 22, uh, Mark eight, 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida and some people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man, listen, listen to this really closely. 
And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Now pay close attention to verse 26 as well. And he sent him to his home, the blind, the man who was blind, he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. You see that? Do not even enter the village. And so I want to show you why that is. Notice where they are, Bethsaida. Some translations render this Bethesda. So whether your Bible says Bethesda or Bethsaida, it's the same location. But I want you to go back with me uh, now to the gospel of Matthew. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 11. I want you to see this. Go to Matthew eleven twenty one. Actually, we'll start in verse 20. Matthew eleven twenty and 21. Look at this. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So he went there and did miracles in those cities, but they didn't believe his message. And they wouldn't repent. Notice, miracles are not an end in and of themselves. Miracles are proof that Jesus is the Son of God. And actually, it should give you the faith to believe like it did for others. The Gospel of John chapter 2, verse 23 says, Many believed on his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So miracles are just a sign that Jesus is alive today, then it was a sign that he was the Messiah, the chosen one, the son of God. In fact, he pointed at his miracles when John's disciples came and said, are you the one or are we waiting for somebody else? And he said, go and tell John the things you've seen and heard. And then he started to list his miracles as the proof that he was the one they were looking for and not somebody else. So miracles are actually an avenue to get people to believe on the name of Jesus. And so the Bible says Jesus had gone into these cities and performed miracles and preached and taught, and they did not and would not believe his message, and they would not repent of their wicked ways. So notice what he says. That was verse 20, Matthew eleven twenty. 20. Now look at 21. He lists the cities by name. Look at this. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, or Bethesda in some Bibles. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and in ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. And so he's condemning these cities. Notice one of the cities he's condemning is Bethsaida. And after he had preached there, after he had taught there, after he'd performed miracles there, and they would not receive him, now go back to Mark chapter 8. This is going to make much more sense to you, but it's also mind-blowing. Look at this. In order to do this miracle for this blind man, 
Notice what the Bible says Jesus did. This is so powerful. When they came to Bethsaida and some people brought him a blind man, begged him to touch him. Notice he didn't just launch into miracle ministry. He was inside the city limits of Bethsaida. But notice the context here. If you compare it to Matthew chapter 11, he had given this city a chance. He had preached the gospel unto them. He had given them the ability to repent and turn from their wicked ways. He'd already done tons of signs and wonders inside of Bethsaida, and they rejected him, just like he was rejected at Nazareth in Mark chapter 6. So notice what he does. He refuses to allow his miracle ministry to operate in that city any longer. Notice this. Because of their rebellion, because they would not uh, listen to his message, Jesus cuts the city off from miracle ministry. This is, this is, wait till I break this open for you. He cuts them off. So look what he does. And he took the blind man by the hand before praying for him, before spitting on his eyes, before laying his hands, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Notice that. So the first thing Jesus did was leave the city limits of Bethsaida. He shook the dust off of his feet. He said, I've already given you the gospel. I've already performed miracles in your city and you chose to reject me and you chose to not repent and live in your wicked ways. I've given you the chance. Now I shake the dust off my feet. Not only do I condemn you, I leave the city. I refuse to let my presence and my power be activated in your city. So he left the city went beyond the city limits, and then he healed the blind man outside of the city, not in it, out of it, because the city was done. He was done. He'd already, and you look, read those other gospels. He said, woe unto you. It'll be worse for you on the day of judgment because you rejected me. And so he left. He literally left the city limits in order to perform the miracle and go further down to verse 26, Mark 8, 26. And he sent him after he healed the man. Notice this. And he sent him to his home saying, don't even enter that village. So here's a man that just got a miracle from Jesus and he's got a testimony to tell and he's, he's going to, he's getting ready to leave Jesus presence and go back. Jesus said, now that you've got a miracle from me, don't even go back into that city. Why? They're not even worthy to hear the testimony of my goodness. I've cut them off. I've cut them off from miracle ministry and you'll not, they'll not even be able to hear your testimony. So go back to your home, but go a different way and do not go into that city. Can you imagine? Completely Bethsaida, completely cut off from the miracle ministry of Christ. So what's Jesus doing? Jesus is making a point. Let me, let me show you this. Uh, go back two chapters. Just go back two chapters to Mark chapter six, because I want to show you this same thing but you can see it happening in action. This is a scary thing. You can see it happening in action. Mark chapter six, verses one through six, a different city, his hometown, Nazareth. Look at this. Uh, I'll read verses one through six. And he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Now look, here's their mistake. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took 
offense at Jesus. Verse four, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he, now look at verse five. This is so powerful. Jesus went there with the intention of performing miracles and healing all of their sick and ministering to those people that were his hometown people. And look what verse five says, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of what? Their unbelief. And so he went about among the villages teaching and preaching. Why? Because teaching and preaching is the cure for unbelief. If you're taking notes, write it in the comments today. Teaching and preaching of the word is the cure for unbelief. Why do we know that's true? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the opposite of unbelief. Faith is the opposite of unbelief. What Jesus was looking for there was faith. What he found was unbelief. And notice, it doesn't say Jesus wouldn't do any uh, mighty works there. It says he couldn't do any. That, that'll blow people's minds. It says he couldn't do any. He wanted to and was cut off from doing what he was called to do because of their unbelief. So they had created an environment. That's it. Teaching and preaching the word is the cure for unbelief. Put it in the comments. Teaching and preaching the word is the cure for unbelief. And so Jesus, literally, think about this. They short-circuited what they were able to receive from heaven because of their unbelief. They took offense at him. They looked at him and said, how can we receive anything? This is our hometown boy. We know who he is. He's a carpenter. They did not see his divinity and they rejected his ministry. So what did it do? It cut their city off from receiving miracles. Notice this. Now this is right here. This is a very, very encouraging word. And I want you to hear it. Very encouraging word is that even though he could not do any mighty works uh, among most of the people, didn't say all of them, said most of them, even though he couldn't, the Bible says he could still lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. So do you know what that means? It means in that crowd of massive unbelief, there were a few people who had faith in who he was. So notice, I love this thought too. This this shows Jesus' love, compassion, and the way that he works and the way that he functions. Even in a sea of unbelief, Jesus was able to locate a few specks of faith in a sea of unbelief. And he didn't reject them wholesale. Notice this. He went in like a sniper and was able to get every single one who had faith and heal those while the rest were left with no miracle. Think of that. So I want I want you to think of this. Though there might be others that do not believe, though there might be others that do not believe, you can still believe. And God will reward your faith even if others don't believe. But one thing you have to realize is that you have to guard yourself and you have to guard your environment from unbelief. 
Guard yourself and guard your environment from unbelief because unbelief will stop the flow of God's power in your life without question. It will stop the flow of of God's power in your life. And so what we're talking about today is creating an environment for the miraculous. That's what I, I mean, that's what I want in my life. We're, We're confessing and believing May is a month of miracles for us. We are going to see supernatural miracles take place in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our bodies this month. We will not come to the end of May and not hold our testimony in our hand in the mighty name of Jesus. It is our month for miracles. Well, if it is, then we've got to do what the Bible teaches regarding creating an atmosphere for miracles to function. Notice where they couldn't function. They couldn't function in Nazareth. They could not function in Bethsaida. They'd been cut off. They had an opportunity, but their unbelief shows you the mercy of God. Jesus went in there and in the midst of their unbelief, showed the miracles to people who had faith in the midst of their unbelief. And then when they continued to reject the gospel, he finally said, you've had enough chances. I'm now cutting you off and wouldn't even do miracles in their city. Powerful thought. So what do we need to do? We need to guard ourselves and guard our environment from unbelief. And one of the ways that we do that is strictly guarding our relationships. Nothing, hear me when I say this, nothing destroys the lives of men and women more quickly than wrong relationships. Nothing, nothing does. Because as you know, we've said it for years, Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Nothing destroys the lives of men and women more quickly than bad relationships. And what happens is uh, who you keep around you will make you or break you. Who you allow entrance into your life will literally make you or break you. If you don't think that's true, you know, why do they teach even in the natural world? Now think about this. Why do they teach even in the in the natural world that if you've had if you've come out of an issue like drug addiction, alcoholism, whatever, why do you think they teach you to make new friendships and make new relationships? Don't go back to hanging with those same people because they're all doing the thing you just were set free from doing. You might have spent time in rehab. You're no longer drunk. You're no longer, you know, I know how they talk about it. I'm a recovering alcoholic for the rest of your life. You're still recovering. But I mean, think about it. You come out of drug addiction, you go through rehab, you're clean. And then you come out. What normally happens to people who relapse? What happens to them? They come out of rehab and they get back in the same destructive environments around the same destructive people with the same destructive relationships. And what happens is that in those same environments, they get pulled back in, pulled back in to doing the same things over and over. So what happens? Their relationships destroy them. Their relationships put them back in an environment that actually Uh, enables them to go back into the problems and the issues that they just came out of. And so your relationships will make you or break you. Let me take a small break here and say to Jacob on YouTube, that's have, it's not a dumb thought to think you can be like Jesus. The Bible says we will be like Jesus. 
John chapter 14 and verse 12, read it and mark it in your Bible. Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also and greater works than these because I'm going to be with my father. The whole reason he died is to make us like him. Now we are part of his body. We are the body of Christ and we are him on the earth. It's not a bad thought. It's not a wrong thought. It's not a blasphemous thought. It's a scriptural thought. You're united with Christ. You have become one with Jesus Christ. And so let me just say that I wanted to, you know, listen, how can you not be him and be equal to him? We don't take his praise. We don't take his worship, but we are in union. We are are one with Christ. If you are one with Christ, then you are Christ. That's not a wrong thought. That's a scriptural thought. Paul had that revelation given to him by God teaches it throughout his epistles. Maybe we'll do a broadcast on it to help people understand. But what I want you to see is, is that if you don't guard your relationships, if you don't guard your environment, it can cut you off from receiving miracles from heaven. Right relationships will help you. Wrong relationships will destroy you. And so I want you to see this very clearly. Think of the man in the gospels who was paralyzed, He was, according to the word, we we see that he was probably a quadriplegic, couldn't go anywhere. And so they heard that Jesus was nearby holding a meeting and he had friends. Think about this. The friends this man had, had faith just like the man had faith. Look at what four faith friends did. They picked up his mat and they transported him. Remember this, he could not have gotten there on his own. He was paralyzed, but he had friends who had faith and they picked up his mat and they carried him to where Jesus was ministering. When they got to the house, the Bible says the house was so full packed that they could not get in. Here's a point. So what did they do? They climbed up on the roof with the man. Now there's a, there's a a point here that I want you to get in order for this man to get a miracle he had to go to another level. But notice, in order for him to go to the next level, his friends also had to be willing to go to another level. This is a massive point if you can catch it. In order to go to a level, another level, he had to be with friends who were willing to go to another level. He couldn't climb up by himself to the, on the roof. He was paralyzed. But his friends were there and they had faith. They knew you've got to get into the presence of Christ. So they climbed up, he climbed, they pulled him up. And as they get up, got up onto the roof, they then tore the roof off and lowered him down right in front of Jesus, who then healed the man and said, take up your bed and walk. And so it wasn't just the man that got his miracle, but with the help of faith filled friends. See, that's the kind of people that I want in my life. That's why I love you that join me on the broadcast. That's why I love your faith. I want people like you in my life. You want people like me in your life because by faith, we strengthen one another. You're never going to come on this broadcast ever and hear me teaching to you, uh, you know, you know, prophesying doom and gloom. You're never going to come on this broadcast and hear me running your faith down. You're never going to come on this broadcast and hear me telling you how hard it is to serve the Lord ever. It's never going to be the case. 
When you come on this broadcast, your faith will be stirred to another level. When you come on this broadcast, no matter when it is, no matter who I have on, you can be sure of the fact that no guest that I ever have on this broadcast is ever going to come on here and prophesy doom and gloom and talk about how hard it is to serve the Lord and you know how many issues we have to go through as believers and God's testing us, he's chastising us, and you're never going to even have me bring anybody on that's going to talk like that <clears throat> because this is what we believe. We are people of faith who only ever move forward in faith. We never go backwards. We never diminish. We only get greater and greater, stronger and stronger, more and more victorious. It's ever forward, never back. That's our motto, and I want you to put it in the comments. Ever forward, never back. Ever forward, never back. Ever forward, never back. We don't go backwards. We don't get weaker. We don't diminish. We only increase. Ever forward, never back. That's right, Coco. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I believe that's Proverbs, is it Proverbs 27, 17? Is that right? Let's see if my memory serves me right. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17. Am I right? Yes. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And so that's what we're doing on these broadcasts every single day, sharpening your faith, sharpening you. I would never want to be, I would never want to be the person that dulls your blade. I wouldn't want you to come in here sharp and leave dull because I was a, just a rock that was just sitting here. And every time you hit your blade against me, I'm just sitting here giving you a word that dulls the sharpness of your blade. I will never be that person. And you don't want those people in your life. Doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean you don't pray for them. Doesn't mean you don't believe for God's best for them. But it just means I have to guard myself. Remember this. I've got my family to think of. I've got my wife to think about. I've got my three children to think about. If Jesus tarries and we get older and the rapture hasn't happened and my kids began to have kids, I've got my grandchildren to think about. And so my responsibility is for them. And so I'm not going to let people come in this house and come into our life that are just going to sit around and spew doubt and unbelief and fear, which affects the atmosphere, which gets into your spirit if you allow it to. And then it becomes the words you speak and it becomes the actions you take. And then it affects what you can receive from heaven. I'm not allowing that to take place. Listen, in the same way, I wouldn't just bring drug addicts into my house with three little kids and just say, hey, sleep, in, sleep wherever you want. You know, we're going to go to bed. You know, we got my kids in here, but I want all of you drug addicts to just sleep in my house. No, I would be happy to pay for them to go to rehab or stay somewhere else, but use wisdom. You've got to use wisdom and say, you know what? I'm not going to just let people barge into my sanctuary and start destroying my atmosphere. And if you don't think that's a real thing, you need to read the Bible because it's what I'm teaching today. Your atmosphere can make or break whether or not you receive from God. And the people you allow in your life and around your family will determine the atmosphere that you have. Have you ever, I mean, if, I told you already that you don't even have to be a Christian to sense a spiritual atmosphere. I told you, we've had handymen over here. We've got construction workers coming into the house and they're working all day. You know what they say to us at the end of the day? Man, you can call me anytime you want. I love working at your house. It's so peaceful here. There's so much, you guys have so much joy in your house. They're not saved. 
They're out there blowing up F-bombs on the phone and, you know, they're not Christians. They're not Christians, but what their spirit man can feel the peace and the joy and the anointing that's in this home. Oh, they want to come back anytime we want to call them. Why? Because they can feel what God feels like. That's a real thing. Protecting your atmosphere is a real thing. Why do you think Paul warned the Corinthian church, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Don't yoke yourself up with someone that's not a Christian. I, I, I believe this so strongly. You know, I've done a lot of youth camps and youth conferences and youth meetings and stuff through the years. And one of the things I'll say, and this always cracks me up, I'll be like, um, how many of you in here are dating somebody that's not serving Jesus? You know, all these hands will go up because they think I'm going to be like, to this, we're going to win them to the Lord. And I'll say, how many of you are dating somebody that's not serving Jesus? And all these hands go up. I say, good. Tonight when the service is over, I want you to call them up and break up with them. And all the hands shoot down, you know, because nobody wants to do that. But you understand, it makes you or breaks you. I don't care if it is a family member, Matt. You have to keep them at an arm's length. It doesn't mean that you don't love them. It doesn't mean that you don't pray for them. It doesn't mean you don't care for them. But you don't allow. Remember this, Matt and Shanda. It's important to know this. It doesn't matter if it's a mother-in-law, a mother, a father-in-law, a father. It could be that close. But when you get married, you create your own covenant, your own household. The Bible says you leave your father and mother and cling to one another. That's one of the things I've seen destroy people is that you have over-invested fathers, mothers, mother-in-laws, father-in-laws that try to come in and, and literally control all the business, get into everything, try to de determine everything you're going to do, controlling, manipulative, and that's destructive to a family. And you have to have boundaries and be strong enough to set the boundaries and draw the lines so that you say, listen, thank you for your input, but this is our family. We're making the decisions. We don't talk like that. You know, Yes, it is, Lori. We don't talk like that. We don't act like that. We don't believe that. You can be sure. If I had, you know, a reprobate father or mother, reprobate father-in-law, mother-in-law, they wouldn't just be getting free access to my children. They've got, you know, all kinds of stuff going on at their house. They're over there doing all kinds of, uh, of things that are displeasing to God. Well, you can be sure. I'm just going to be just un unguarded, sending my kids over there to hang out. Go spend time, at, you know, who knows what they're doing? Who knows what they're doing? And they, and, and they need to get their act together. And if you think I'm just going to take my impressionable children and throw them into the hand, I don't care if they're family or not, means nothing to me. Means nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. Well, that might hurt their feelings. Good. Maybe it'll shake them up enough to get their act together and get their life in gear. Because I'm not sacrificing my children on the altar of family because they won't get their act together and, and stop living the way they're living. I don't care how they feel. You understand, principle goes beyond feelings principle goes beyond feelings. And if you believe that this is real, if you believe that the power of God, that you've got to raise them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it, part of that is guarding them from wickedness in people's lives that won't change their lives. Oh, they'll get offended. Let them get offended. Let them get offended. Maybe it'll shake them up and realize, I need to turn this life around. If I want access to my grandkids, if I want, I need to turn my life around. They don't, 
And you need to set the boundaries because my kids' lives are more important than somebody's feelings. I promise you that. I love what Pastor Bill Motley said. I don't even run with all preachers. And I totally agree. I totally agree. I told him, I told him before, I said, there might be some people who make it to heaven, you know, that are, that believe differently than we do. But you know, there's a lot of preachers that are in certain denominations that are cessationists. They're bashing the Holy Ghost. Do you realize, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. There are preachers right now that are holding conferences, holding nationwide conferences for the purpose of mocking the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Some of you may not know that. Some of you may not know that. There are actual pastors and preachers holding nationwide conferences right now to just the only purpose is to mock the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And they will play clips on the big screens in the sanctuary of men of God moving in the Holy Ghost like Dr. Rodney Howard Brown and others, Kenneth Hagin. And they'll, they'll play them on the screens and then the preachers will get up and mock it and say, oh, that's not God. That's a demonic manifestation. It's a deception. They're doing that. They're doing that. And they claim to be evangelical preachers, Protestant preachers of the gospel. And let me tell you something. Whether they may make it to heaven. They may not. The Bible says, if God has mercy on them, that's a dangerous place to be, to be in a place where you're on the edge of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and that is considered the unforgivable sin. And if God doesn't have mercy on their soul, they won't be in heaven. And so if they are there, praise God that they made it. If they're, not, But let me just tell you, while I'm on the earth, I've got a mission to accomplish. I've got something I'm standing for, and it's the mighty power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. As I said this last week, you can't preach Jesus without preaching the Holy Ghost. It's impossible. It's impossible. Jesus himself couldn't even not preach about the Holy Ghost. He had to because you can't preach Jesus without preaching the Holy Ghost. And so I'm on a mission. I've got to do what the Lord tells me to do. But watch this. As I'm on the earth, they can do their thing. They might call themselves Christians. Maybe they are. I'm not the judge of their Christianity, but... I'll say this, I don't have the time to associate myself, nor the lack of wisdom to associate myself with somebody who mocks my best friend, the Holy Spirit, and talks like he's my worst enemy. Let me, let me just say this, you're in a dangerous place in Christianity if you cannot tell the difference between the voice of your best friend and the voice of your worst enemy. If you can't, as a Christian, tell the difference between the moving of the Holy Spirit and demonic manifestations, you are spiritually dead and you need to get saved. If you can't tell, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and a stranger's they will not follow. If you can't tell what's holy and what's demonic, you're dead inside. You're dead inside. You're completely dead inside. It's what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, you're whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. You're of your father, the devil. I, I feel like that about some preachers, quote unquote, today. And that's, that's what Pastor Bill's referring to. There's preachers that we don't run with them. They, they reject the faith of God. They reject the Holy Ghost. They reject the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They reject speaking in tongues. They reject the gifts of the Spirit. They reject it. It's taught in the Word and they reject it and call it evil. When you've got people 
that reject what the Holy Spirit is doing and calling it evil. It's what they said about Jesus. He casts out Satan by the spirit of Satan. Jesus is like, you're a nut job. How can a kingdom that's divided against itself even stand? If Satan's casting out Satan and demons are casting out demons, how can their kingdom even function, you genius? And they're doing the same thing today. Well, look at all those healings. God doesn't heal today, so that must be demonic manifestation. When has the devil ever healed anybody? Show me one place in scripture where the devil healed anybody. I mean, think about that. Where in the scripture did Jesus ever point out the devil? Oh, well, he's also healing people. So No, Jesus used his healing miracles with, the, with John as the proof he was the Messiah. Stop and think about this logically. If the devil could reproduce healing miracles, then that was not any proof Jesus was the son of God. I want to say that again because some people didn't catch it. If the devil could produce healing miracles, then it was no proof for Jesus to use that he was the son of God. John's disciples, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or are we waiting for somebody else? He said, go tell John the things you've seen and heard. The lame walk, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the poor have the gospel preached unto them, the dead are raised. He started pointing at healing miracles. He said, of course I am. Look at the healing I'm doing. If the devil could do that, it's not a sign. And any nut job, and I'm, I'm unashamed to call these preachers, quote unquote, nut jobs, because any nut job that looks at healing miracles and manifestations of the Holy Ghost and says it's the devil working in deception doesn't even understand the scripture and can't even think logically. And it's a dangerous place to be. So absolutely, I guard my relationships. If I find out that there are people who mock, I don't care if they're preachers, Christians. If I find out people that they mock the things that the Bible teaches, the things the Bible teaches, I don't spend time hanging with them. If they're a friend of mine, I may talk to them about it and say, hey, listen, some of the things you're saying aren't scripturally accurate. I'll give them benefit of doubt. I'll go to them like the Bible says. If I have anything against my brother, I'll go and speak to them. If they won't hear me, I'll bring some witnesses and talk to them again. Try to get them to see the, the truth of scripture. If they reject it again, the Bible says then that's fine. Don't even hang out with them anymore. Bible says that. Have nothing more to do with them. Treat them as an outcast. You've given them opportunity. I'm, I'm just going to tell you what that's what the Bible teaches. And that's not harsh. That's two opportunities of grace and mercy. A warning and then a warning with witnesses. How hard-headed are you going to be? And so I don't have, listen, we don't have time to spend our whole lives banging our head against a wall trying to get everybody to believe like we do. If they don't believe, do what Jesus said. Shake the dust off of your feet and go somewhere else. But one of the things that we need to understand is if we want miracles to work in our own personal lives, we've got to guard our relationships, guard our atmospheres, and do not allow a word of doubt and unbelief to come into our mind because we've surrounded ourselves with people who will not believe the word of God. They reject it. Do you know that even Jesus' disciples, even Jesus' disciples were not all at the same level of faith? Did you know that? Go to Mark chapter 5. Let me show you this in Mark chapter 5. And Jesus knew who he could and couldn't take with him on trips to do the serious miracles. He knew it. 
Look at this. After, in Mark chapter 5, after Jesus heals the woman with the issue of blood after she touches the hem of his garment, notice he was on his way to Jairus' house to, to heal his daughter who was sick unto death. And um, look at this, verse 35, Mark 5, 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Now here's going to be a master class in, in guarding your atmosphere. Now, verse 37 is so telling that you've got to catch this. Jesus didn't take his 12 disciples to this house to bring this girl back to life. He cut out 75% of his disciples. Think about this. He cut out 75% of his disciples and only brought a quarter of them, three men. Look at verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. You see that? He cut them out. He said, we're getting ready to go raise a dead girl to life. I don't need unbelief. I we know some of his disciples had unbelief. Obviously, Judas did, and obviously Thomas did. So we know that unbelief was working in the disciples. He actually rebuked them multiple times for their unbelief. Mark chapter 9, they couldn't cast out the demon out of that boy. He said, because he said, Where is your faith? It's because of your lack of, of faith. You have unbelief. That's why you couldn't do it. And this kind comes not out except by prayer and fasting. So rebuked him there, rebuked him on the water. Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? He said, where's your faith? How is it that you have no faith? Oh, ye of little faith. He's rebuked them multiple times. So there was unbelief trying to run through the disciples. And Jesus knew it and could sense it. And he said, when it's time to get down to the most difficult things, because there are levels, Jesus taught that in Mark 9, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So there are levels of battles in the spirit and raising the dead is probably one of the final battles. As Paul said, death is the final enemy. And so when Jesus was going to raise a dead person, the final enemy, he cut it all down to Peter, James, and John. You see that? And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead. She's only sleeping. Look at verse 40. Another sign of what Jesus did. And they laughed at him. He spoke by faith and they laughed. They mocked Jesus. But catch this. This is a lesson to you. But he put them all outside. Jesus kicked everybody out of the house. Think about that. Kicked his disciples out from coming except for three of them, got there, kicked everybody out of the house. What was Jesus doing? Preparing an atmosphere for the miraculous. He was preparing an atmosphere for the miraculous. Kicked out all but three disciples, kicked out all the crowd out of the house. And the Bible says, uh, and put them all outside and took the child's father and mother. Obviously, they were believing for a miracle. It's their own daughter. And those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. 
And immediately, hallelujah, the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And then my favorite verse of the passage and strictly he charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) So you can see it's scriptural after God moves that you're supposed to go get something to eat. But the Bible says he kicked them all out. What was he doing? Uh, My whole life, my father has preached a message entitled, shut the door on your miracle. Shut the door on your miracle. I want you to write that in the comments section. Shut the door on your miracle. Put it in the comments. This is a key. This is a key. Shut the door on your miracle. Because one of the things you'll have to guard against is those that will laugh at what you're believing for. Those who will mock what you're believing for. Those who act like it could never happen. Those who act like it's foolishness to believe it. Shut the door on your miracle. Put Listen, Jesus did it and didn't worry about their feelings. You realize, don't you, all of those people were friends of the family. You know that. All of those people, who would be there mourning the loss of a, of a daughter if they weren't a friend of the family? If strangers weren't doing it. All of them were friends of the family, and Jesus cared nothing about offending friends of the family. Get out. Get out and shut the door behind them. Locked himself. Notice this. He shut unbelief out of the room, and he locked faith into the room. That's what we're doing. He shut unbelief out of the room, and he locked faith into the room. You've got to lock faith into your house. You've got to lock faith into your heart. You've got to lock faith into your family. Close yourself into faith and shut the door on doubt and unbelief. Let me just encourage you. Doubt and unbelief have no business in your house. They've got no business in your family, no business in your mind, no business in your words. We don't speak doubt and unbelief. As the apostles said, we believe, therefore we speak. I speak the things I believe. I don't speak my doubt and unbelief. I don't allow the devil to put thoughts of unbelief or doubt into my mind and then I'm not and then be stupid enough to repeat them as words and confessions. Do you know how low of a spiritual um IQ you have to have to allow the devil to speak words into your mind and into your spirit and then give them life by voicing those things as a confession out of your own mouth. What a we know that words are alive. The word is alive. It's powerful. That's why we speak God's words, not what the devil is lying to us and saying. We don't do that. Well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, cancer's run through my family. I'm, I'm going to probably die of cancer like the rest of my family at one point. No, I'll never. If that's your story in your family, what do you say? I'll never die of cancer in Jesus' name. Cancer will never fill my body. I'll never have cancer cells set up in my body in the mighty name of Jesus. Cancer cells die. The fire of God burns them up when they try to set up in my body. They die immediately by the power of God. I could never die of cancer. It's impossible. That's how you talk. You don't sit around, well, you know, cancer runs through my family and, you know, so many of my family members had cancer and, you know, I'm sure one day because it's hereditary, I'll I'll probably, don't, don't, why would you give voice to the lies of the devil 
Why would you give voice to anything that contradicts the mighty word of God? What a foolish thing to do. A fo- wisdom voices the word of God because the word of God is perfect wisdom. The word of God is perfect wisdom. Well, you know, diabetes runs through my family. Well, you know, suicidal thoughts. We've had chronic depression all through my family. And you know, those things, those, some, the doctors say they're hereditary. So I don't know. I'm just, I, I probably should start taking antidepressants before I even need them just to get a jump on it. No, stop. If you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, then the old family line is gone. Whatever jumped from family member to family member through the generations is stopping with you. It's cut off at you in Jesus' name. You've got a new family tree. You've got the power of God flowing through your family. I refuse to give voice to words of doubt and unbelief that I've heard from a specialist or other people in my family or friends or connections. I refuse. That's why it's important that you make your connections of people with like faith. Make your connections. I've never understood this, why people go to church and they're faithful to their church, but then they make all of their friends at work, people that don't even serve the Lord. Every time they go out to dinner, it's with work friends that don't serve the Lord. I'm not saying you can't minister to them, witness to them, bring them into the house of God and, you know, you know, befriend them, be nice. I'm not saying that, but I I always wonder when there's people who make all their connections with people outside of the house of God and don't make friends and connections within the family of faith. I'm not talking about making it a cultish thing. I'm talking about doing what the Bible says. Let those that are iron sharpen those that are iron. That makes no sense to me. Why would you have a closer connection with people who reject Christ than people who accept them and and follow his commands. It's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. And then I look at people and say, well, and my wife and I have said it, we've watched. We've watched people live and we'll say to each other, we need to pray for that person because the choices they're making, it's, it's trouble. It's trouble, man. The people they're hanging with, where they're going, what they're doing, doesn't matter that they're still going to church. It won't last long if they surround themselves with people that are destructive to their faith. And it does make a difference. And it's, well, I'm strong enough to withstand it. I'm strong enough to be the person that goes and is not changed by it. Oh, are you really? If Then if you're, if you're strong enough, here's the real question. If you're strong enough, how come none of them have been influenced by you and you're influenced by them? If you're truly that strong in the Holy Ghost, well, I'm not, I'm strong enough to not be affected. I can go hang with them. I can go to, you know, I'm a lot. if you're strong enough, if you're that strong in the spirit, how come none of them are getting saved? How come none of them are coming to church? How come none of them are filled with the Holy Ghost? If you're such a strong spiritual force, how come you aren't affecting them and they're affecting you? Well, you know, well, where have you been? How come you haven't been in church for a few weeks? Well, you know, I just, I just don't know how important, I don't know how important it is to really be faithful to church. I've, I've been just kind of been spiritual staying at home. That's the stuff that happens. Ask any pastor, ask anybody that's been in the ministry for any period of time is that people start pulling back and then they start doing other things with people that aren't in the faith. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, church isn't that important anymore. And well, we're doing other things now. We'll see you every once in a while, but we're not going to come as much as we did. They pull out of all volunteer positions in the church. They stop attending. They stop tithing. They stop being faithful. And then all of a sudden, they're gone. 
Oh, but I'm strong enough to be around these people. It's not affecting me. Oh yeah, it's not affecting you, but you can't get them to come to church, but they can pull you out. And it's insane. And if if people would just read the scripture and understand that Paul said, uh, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Don't have anything to do with people that reject the things of God. It doesn't mean, I'm not, I have to make a, a, always give you a caveat here because people always think, well, I should just reject anybody that's unsaved. No, if you did that, you'd never win anybody to Jesus. I'm not talking about don't talk to them, don't be around them. Jesus ate with sinners. I'm not saying that once in a while you can't do those things. What I'm saying is you don't make them your best friends. You don't make them the people that speak into your life. You understand? Let me give you an analogy, and I want you to put this in the comment section. What advice can a dead man give to a living man? Write that in the comments. What advice can a dead man give to a living man? Let that sink in. Let that penetrate your heart. What advice can a dead man give to a living man? Nobody in any cemetery can speak into my life. You know why? They're dead. They're dead. And in the same way, anybody who does not have Christ is dead spiritually. Dead. So as I'm giving you this, imagine how ridiculous it would be to let a dead person speak into your life and say, well, are you really believing for that divine healing? I know you've been, but you know, I don't know that you should really believe like that. I mean, I, I just would hate to see your hopes dashed. I, I, I don't know that you should really, should you really get your hopes up? I know you go to that church that believes like that, but you know, I, I really don't think you should think like that. What business does a dead man have giving advice to a living man. You're dead spiritually. I don't expect you to understand these things. They're foolishness to people who are not alive to Christ. And so what business does a dead man have giving a living man advice? Guard your atmosphere. Guard your relationships. And don't allow your environment of faith to be destroyed by people that are filled with doubt and unbelief. If you want miracles to flow, sit sit with people who have faith like you have faith. Be in a, a house of God where you can be around people of like faith and let them become your connections and let iron sharpen iron. And don't sit around with the dead and expect not to die. Listen, let me give you another word. If, if you make your best friends dead people and do what dead people do, guess what? You're gonna die. If I went to a cemetery and said, these are all going to be my best friends. I want to be just like them. I'm going to lay down on the ground. I'm never going to eat a meal. I'm never going to move. I'm never going to breathe. Guess what? You'll be dead just like the rest of them. Because not only are you making them your surroundings, you're doing what they do. If you want to be a dead person, do what a dead person does. And that's how people, that's exactly how people become apostate. They get saved and then they fall away. And it's not, it's not something that instantly happens. It's something that happens because they won't guard their relationships and won't guard their environment. So what do they do? They keep doing the same stuff they used to do. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be alive, but still do what a dead person does. No, Paul said that we don't do that. Should we continue to sin in sin now that Christ has set us free? Of course not. Of course not. Read Romans chapter six. Of course not. He said, God forbid. 
God forbid, I don't allow, that would be insane. I'm not going to allow myself to take the actions of dead men and hope to stay alive. I'm going to fill myself with faith. I'm going to surround myself with the living and I'm going to increase every day of my life. I'm going to increase every day of my life. And so will you. As you surround yourself with faith, as you surround yourself with people of faith, you keep yourself in the house of God where faith is being preached. And as someone asked earlier, it does matter if you go to a lukewarm dead church. Get out of it and go to a faith-filled on-fire church where they preach the full gospel, where they preach the full counsel of God's word. It makes a difference. It's life or death. And I'm going to pray for you today because one of the things I see destroy Christians quicker than anything else is that they don't think to guard their environment. They have always somebody that's speaking into their life. Well, my uncle always said, well, what does he know? Did your uncle live in overwhelming victory? Well, my grandpa always said, well, did your grandpa live in never-ending increase? Did your grandpa live in the miracle-working power of God? If he did, take his advice. If he didn't, then just take it with a grain of salt. Because notice this, it's only Christianity where we take everyone's advice. They don't do that. You know, people in any other field don't do that. You know, plumbers don't take their advice from landscapers. Landscapers don't take their advice from mechanics. You know why? Because they don't know anything about what they're doing. There's no surgeon that before going into surgery takes the advice of a lawyer Say, well, here's what I think you should do in the surgery. I know you're planning to do this, but I think, no, the lawyer didn't have any medical training. So why would I take his advice? Christianity is the only environment where people just take anybody's advice about how they should live. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I'm going to guard my relationships and guard my environment and let lock myself and my family into faith and not allow myself to be taken out by doubt and unbelief because I always want Jesus to be able to manifest his presence in my home, in my children, in my wife, in myself, always. And so we lock ourselves into faith and we shut the door on doubt and unbelief and we don't engage in relationships and make best friends with people that are dead. It's not their place to speak into our lives or be our friends. We love them, we pray for them, we witness to them, but we don't allow them to speak into our lives. And I don't take their advice, ever. I want to have what Jesus has prepared for me, and I know you do too. I know you want what Jesus has prepared for you, because let me encourage you, they're good things. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of any man. The things that God has prepared, and one translation says, says and has set aside, for them that love him. And if you love him today, you are, you're, an, you're one who's obedient to his word. Those good things are prepared and set aside for you. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. God's got great things prepared for you. He has blessings to pour out on your life and all it takes to receive those blessings is faith in the mighty word of God. That's how we access his blessings. It's how we access his goodness. And I want to encourage you today, we will see in the month of May, we will see the miracle working power of God at work in our homes. We will hold our testimony in our hand in the mighty name of Jesus and will not miss our blessings. 
We're creating an environment of faith. Bow your head. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your wonderful people today. Every person watching live or on the replay, those that are listening on the podcast, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them with a spirit of faith today. Give us a, a, a discernment. Let us let our spirits be discerning about relationships, about our environment, our home. Let us draw boundaries boldly and not be ashamed of it, protecting the presence of God, protecting the faith that we've been uh, that we've been given through the preaching of God's word and the teaching of his word. Lord, let us guard with wisdom. Let us guard with wisdom the environment of faith that's been created in our lives. We thank you that our children will never lack for any good thing. Our wives and our husbands will never lack for any good thing. That we will see the manifestations of the presence of Christ in our homes. We thank you that before this month comes to an end, we will hold those testimonies in our hands because you're doing a quick work in the month of May. It's our month of miracles in Jesus' mighty name. And we will see breakthroughs and manifestations of your spirit, blow your breath from heaven, and blow every wicked thing away from our homes. And Father, we thank you that the blessings are being blown in by the wind of God and we will hold them and even it will be said among those that don't serve Jesus that is God that's blessing them father let the blessings be so large extravagant and violent that people who don't serve you will recognize that's not natural that's supernatural and then you'll fill our mouth with laughter and our tongue with singing and as your word declares it'll be said among the heathen the Lord has done great things for them. And that's our declaration. It's taking place this month. We thank you before June 1st hits, we'll see the goodness of God manifested in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. I see my friend, a powerful pastor, Pastor Danny Haas is on, on the broadcast today. Love you. Thanks for hanging with us. Minister Carl Sanders is on. See you. Good to see you. Love you guys. And let me encourage you because we're believing for this and we will see it. We will see it. Increase is coming to every one of us, including financial increase. And that's why I'm encouraging you. Not This is what's so powerful. God has given us the ability to supernaturally increase by the seeds we sow. Do you know God is interested in your overflow? He is interested in your increase. There's Sister Kim Gibb. Love you so much. Love you and Pastor Tim. Great and powerful pastors pastoring in Sarnia, Ontario, in Canada. I'm telling you, there's mighty men and women of God all over the earth that are standing for the very same things I'm preaching and teaching to you today, the message of faith that sets the captives free. And we're seeing God move. We are seeing God move. And it's a wonderful thing to see God manifest his presence. And he'll manifest it even financially for us this month. We're going to see it. Thank you, Britt. We love you. Love Jake. We're going to see it this month in Jesus' name. One of the things that I was meditating on today, can I encourage you with this? I was meditating on the fact our minds need to go beyond just believing that God wants to meet our needs because he's not just a need meter, if you will. He's El Shaddai. He's the God of more than enough. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the provider. One of the things I want you to understand, God does not just want to meet your needs. He wants to take you into the overflow, into the excess. And the thing that brought this to my mind, I was reading as Jesus multiplied five loaves and two fish to the crowd of 5,000 men plus the women and children. Let's say there were a minimum of 10,000 people there. 
Well, remember this, God is the one who gives the increase. So as Jesus began to multiply the fish and multiply the loaves, notice what happened. This is so interesting to me. He, the Lord was giving him the power and he was doing this. He was multiplying those things and they were passing them out to the whole crowd of probably about 10,000 people and they were all eating. It wasn't like a communion meal where you got a little piece of fish, a little piece of bread. They, the Bible actually tells us they ate until they were full and wanted no more. Think about that. He fed them until they were so full that they wanted no more. That's, that's a lot of food. But notice that once the entire crowd of 10,000 people had been fed and was full and wanted no more, the multiplication didn't stop. Why? Jesus was proving a principle here. I'm not just the God of enough. I'm the God of more than enough. What do you think? God can't count? You think God doesn't know when everybody's uh, full and doesn't want any more? If all God wanted was to meet your needs... He would have stopped once everybody was full and once everybody had been fed and there would have been nothing left over. However, there was tons left over, tons. And the disciples took up 12 baskets and filled the baskets with leftover fish and bread. Now, if you think that the reason there was 12 baskets of leftover fish and bread is because God miscalculated how many people were there when he was doing the multiplication, then you've got a very low view of the omniscience of God. He did it to reveal his nature and his power. I'm not just going to meet your needs. I'm going to keep multiplying until there's an, ex an excess and an overflow. 12 baskets full. 12 baskets full. They ate. Not till just everybody tasted some, till they were full and wanted no more. And there was tons left over. God wants to not just, he'll meet your needs and then give you more until you don't want any more. You're full or you're quote unquote satisfied. And then once you're full, satisfied and to the place where you're at the ready to burst, then he'll keep piling it onto you until you overflow. How do we access that power? Through the system of seed time and harvest. That's how we access it in our finances. By sowing, by sowing, by sowing. And if you believe in the system of seed time and harvest, then really ask yourself the question, who were the 12 baskets for? Who were the 12 baskets for? Well, if you understand seed time and harvest, the only answer we could give here is that the 12 baskets of leftovers were to go back to the boy who was the one who sowed the five loaves and two fish. It really was his harvest that was coming back to him. Do you? Let me ask you, do you honestly believe Jesus would let that little boy sow and give up his lunch, give up his lunch so Jesus could eat? And then at the end of all of that, with all the multiplication, you think Jesus was going to send that little boy home empty-handed? Do you think that's how Jesus operates? No. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. I tell you that the 12 baskets of leftovers belonged to the little boy who gave up his lunch. He started, watch this, he started by sowing a seed that he could carry all the way to where Jesus was in the wilderness, but he went home with a harvest that it took 12 full-grown men to carry. Hallelujah. He started with something that he could carry. He finished with something it took 12 full-grown men to carry. 
his excess. I'm sure his mom's eyes were massive when he came back walking up the road with 12 disciples behind him carrying 12 baskets of fish and bread. She probably thought, where have you been? He is a God of more than enough. And he's doing the same for you. So I want to encourage you today as the Holy Spirit's leading you, he's speaking to people right now to sow largely into the kingdom. Why? Because he has a large harvest coming back to you in Jesus' name. May you will explode with the favor of God when you're obedient to the voice of the Spirit. And so listen to what the Spirit's telling you to do right now. I'm not telling you to do it. The Holy Spirit's telling you. And the information's on the screen, how you can sow your seed today. Very easy to do. For everybody that sows 85 or more this month, we're going to send you this book by my friend, Pastor Alan Meshagan in Hiram, Georgia, Pastor's Full Turn Church. This is a powerful book on your identity and inheritance in Jesus Christ. It's called Heir of Power. This is a phenomenal book, and uh, it blessed me. I'm going to send it to you. It was very kind of him uh, to give us the ability to make this available to you, and it's, it's coming to every person that uh, sows a seed of $85 or more this month. This is a great, great book. And then, of course, everybody that's sowing $1,000 or more, we're making out this genuine leather Life Application Study Bible to you. One of the best study tools, I think, available that I have. Uh, several that we've given you in the videos for Bible study. This goes deep with history, profiles, timelines. I like what it has. And then also, we're making it out to you. The hardcovers are being made right now. The book Further Faster is brand new and available. The Power of Impartation. And uh, for every person that has sown over $1,000 or 1000 and those that do so, you're going to get a copy of this hardcover uh, with a dust jacket, uh, which is a limited edition. We're not we're not printing them to sell. They're just for those that are partnering. And uh, we're going to ship this to you. I'll sign it to your family. Just as my way of saying thank you. We appreciate you. And uh, it's going to be a month of supernatural breakthrough. I've got a treat for you at the end of this broadcast. And by the way, I want to say, I, drew, I do want to say a true thank you. To everybody that's sowing seeds, we really, really love and appreciate you and we pray for you by name on a weekly basis because we really are standing with you to see increase in your life. Um, don't forget, by the way, to get involved with us for the Bible reading challenge for the month of May. Go to miracleword.com forward slash study, download the study guide, and then we've got videos there to help you as you're studying the Bible. Don't miss it. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.